Welcome to this week's Crowd Church service. We are a digital church on a quest to discover how Jesus helps us live a more meaningful life. We are a community, a space to explore the Christian faith and a place where you can contribute and grow. Our service uh, will last about an hour and in a few seconds you'll meet our hosts uh, for our service who will introduce today's talk. After the talk, we will have a time of worship and reflection, after which we head into Conversation Street, where we look at your stories and questions that you've posted in the comments. Now, we want to invite you to connect with us here at Crowd Church, and we've got a few ways in which you can do just that. Firstly, you can engage with Crowd from any device during our live stream, and if you're up for it, why not invite a few friends over and experience the service together? You see, church is all about connecting with God and connecting with others. And one of the easiest ways for you to do that is join one of our midweek groups where we meet online together to catch up and discover more about the amazingness of Christ. You can also subscribe to our fairly new podcast called What's the Story, uh, where we deep dive into stories of faith and courage from everyday people. More information about all of these things can be found on our website at www.crowd.church, or you can reach out to us on social media at Crowd Church. If you are new to crowd or new to the Christian faith and would like to know what your next steps to take are, well, why not head over to our website crowd.church forward slash next for more details. And now, the moment you've been waiting for is here. Our online church service starts right now. Well, good evening and welcome to Crowd Church. It's great that you're here. I'm here uh, with the beautiful Anna. Anna, how are we doing today? We're good, yeah. Had a lovely, relaxing Sunday. How about you, Matt? <laughs> I wish I had a lovely, <laughs> relaxing Sunday. Uh, it's been okay. It's been okay. It's been one of those where uh, I, I have no idea where the day has gone let me tell you. So uh, yes, it's <laughs> one of those days. Now, welcome to Crowd Church. If this is your first time with us, a warm welcome to you. We are an online church. Uh, for those that might not see the point of church, for those who are looking uh, to understand how Jesus, well, basically gives us meaning in life, really. And um, we hopefully do that in a non-threatening way. Uh, I don't tend to threaten. Do you threaten people, Anna? I don't know. I try not to. Occasionally, my little boy, but not not a big <laughs> Not generally other adults. <laughs> How about you? Uh, <laughs> really. No, no, no. Uh, no. <laughs> so yeah, welcome to church. It's great that you're here. And of course, if you're a regular, warm welcome to you as well. Uh, I see Mr. Crew is in the comments. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oh, we've got 2-2 two, two in the... I've not actually seen the score for the Liverpool-Arsenal game. Oh, he's so. already started the football banter. <laughs> no doubt. We're back will... season, aren't we, Matt? Yeah, <laughs> it's just one of those, isn't it? It's like, oh, OK. Uh, so, uh, yeah, warm welcome to you. Anna, let the good folks know what is happening today. Yeah, so we've got um, Pete Farrington joining us in a little bit with a talk that's all about our need for... Jesus and it's part of the continuation of our series that's looking at the Gospel of John and digging into that kind of whole book of the Bible and exploring it a bit more. So we're going to listen to what he's got to say about the next chapter of John's Gospel and then move to some questions um, afterwards. Yeah, Conversation Street. Looking forward to it. So uh, we are live on Facebook and YouTube. So if you are joining on the live stream, do feel free to write in the comments. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you're watching on Catch Up, a warm welcome to you. And if you're listening to the podcast, which I know many people now do, a warm welcome to you wherever you are listening to the podcast. We hope that you are enjoying it. And speaking of podcasts, Anna, have you been listening to the What's the Story stuff? I have. I've really been enjoying it. And I listened to, it was the most recent one, Jen Oliver. Yeah, I really, yeah, Jen. really yeah. enjoyed her one. I think it released earlier this week. So Jen, if you're watching, great did really well on that and loved what she had to say just about kind of her relationship with God and lots of different scenarios she'd lived through like you know kind of illness of a partner uh, miscarriages 
death of her dad, like mm. all sorts. It's great. Just yeah. as you say, someone's story about life and how you live every day as a Christian. Yeah. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? It was one of those where um, I, I started doing the conversation with Jen. And sorry, for those of you watching and, and listening don't know, What's the Story is a new podcast that we've started doing. So as well as the live streams, we now do What's the Story, which is where uh, we we I basically sit down and chat to people uh, yeah. about their faith and about the sort of challenges in life that they faced. And it's a really inspiring conversation because it's just me and them for whatever, however long it is. And Jen's turned out to be an hour and a half long. I mean, was it I was that just, long? Yeah, wow. it was unbelievable. And we're just, I just got so sucked into the story. And before I know it's like an hour and a half, I'm like, oh, maybe we should have done this over two. Right? Yeah. I mean, that, that is a long one, but it is it's a great listen. So I totally recommend people yeah. tune into it. There's just some, there's a story out there for everyone on that, I think. There's lots of different people's stories, like living through cancer diagnosis and mm. all kinds of stuff, isn't there? So. Yeah, there is. So do check them out. We've got eight episodes so far. We've got some more coming up. We've got a long list of people waiting to be interviewed for What's the Story? So... Uh, yeah, as we get it off the ground, do join in, do subscribe if you like that kind of thing. It'd be great to see you uh, in there. So it's on YouTube, it is on Faith, it's on YouTube, and it's on yeah. wherever you get your podcast from. That's where it's. And maybe if anyone else is watching has got an interesting story, like also we could dig into that as well. So do let us know if you've got an interesting story to tell. Yeah, actually, if you want to be featured on the What's the Story podcast, if you go to the Crowd Church website, there is a little link. Uh, on the What's the Story page, which says be a guest. And if you click that, um, there's a little form to fill out. If you fill out that form, uh, it'd be great to hear from you. Um, and uh, yeah, all the information's on there that you need to know about. So do check that out. So who else have we got here? We've got Matt, we've got Sharon, we've got Miriam, we've got George in the comments. Good evening, everybody. Great to see you in there. Uh, evening, <laughs> Queen of Rhino Church. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Crew's going to get punched in the head by Sharon. I think that's just what's going to happen. Uh, but there, yeah. <laughs> sorry about wait. yeah, yeah. Sorry about the in jokes, but I will try and video it uh, when it happens and put it on the uh, Facebook page because you're going to want to see that. <laughs> so, it's just like the street coming out tonight, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> sorry, everyone. We're not normally like that. Yeah, yeah. There is. Uh, so, uh, should we get into the talk? Oh, hi, Sarah. Yeah, I think we uh, better have. <laughs> yeah, I'm just looking at the comments and trying to talk at the same time. I can't multitask, apparently. Uh, so let's get into the talk from Pete Farrington. Like Anna said, we'll be back after this with Conversation Street. Do write your thoughts, comments, stories. Just contribute uh, as the talk is going on. I'll be in there. Anna will be in there. George will be in there. Matt will be in there, I've no doubt. Um, so come join us in the comments. It'd be great to see you in there. And then after this talk and then after a brief time of worship, and I'll be back for Conversation Street. So I am looking for the button on my pad. I think here it is. Right, we'll see you in a second. No, it's not working. Right. Oh, you're having a real IT day, aren't we? <laughs> Me and Matt were saying this before we started, but like my internet dropped out twice while we were preparing. You were saying like you didn't have all the stuff ready. Yeah, it's going smoothly tonight. Yeah, it's going so Go with us, everyone. It's, it's going to be one of those evenings really already. Really polished. Really polished. Right, here's the talk. Hello Crowdchurch, it's lovely to be with you and today we are continuing in our series on the Gospel of John and I've been tasked with uh, walking us through John chapter 4 verse 43 to John chapter 6 verse 24 and um, there's an awful lot in there and there's no way that we can look at it all in detail uh, today so I encourage you to, to read through it for yourself um, but this passage continues in a series of um, four interactions that Jesus has with with very different individuals. Um, John chapter three begins with a, the very famous conversation um, that Jesus has with Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. And Jesus um, brings this man a, a strong challenge, telling him, no, you haven't understood the scriptures. The whole thing points to me and you need to be born again. Then in John chapter four, Jesus um, interacts with uh, a woman at the, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well, and he confronts her about her sin and then comforts her with the gospel. Uh, it's, a, it's a brilliant conversation and the woman is doing her best to 
um, to avoid the challenge, change, trying to change the, the topic again and again. Um, but Jesus gets her there in the end. Um, then after that, we see Jesus's uh, encounter with um, a Roman official who was probably a Roman centurion in the service of Herod Antipas. Um, we'll, we'll come back to this guy in a minute. But, but after that, Jesus then heals uh, an invalid in John chapter five. Um, and he, he brings this man a challenge too. Um, I encourage you to read it. But it's after that healing that tension then really starts to, to spike between Jesus and the Jews. And Jesus makes uh, a lot of outrageous claims about himself. Well, the, they're outrageous if they're not true. Um, and he becomes even more of a controversial figure um, as a result of that. But going back to those four encounters, um, the first thing that really struck me was just how different these four people were. So they were of different ethnicities, different stratas of society, uh, different levels of societal influence and, uh, and being accepted by society, different classes. But there are also striking similarities across all four encounters. And I think the first one to note is that um, they all come to Christ in the exact same manner with great need and with great longing, um, but with more need than they were even aware of at first, um, just like us all. Um, and Jesus meets with each individual and treats them as such, and, and he sees beyond their felt need. Um, we live in very strange times where many are trying to slice up all of reality into neat categories of those who are oppressed and those who are oppressors and, and really pitting one group against another. And in many cases, um, confusing their hatred of one group for their love of another. But Jesus did not interact with these people according to how the world might have perceived them or how we would perceive people today according to where everyone is placed on the oppressor-oppressed spectrum. So he didn't say, ooh, a poor, dirty invalid. But he also didn't say, ooh, a privileged man in a position of power. Gross. We see many times in scripture that Jesus shows, uh, that God shows no partiality and that to do so is sin. We also see from these four interactions that Jesus had a clear challenge for each person. So I really encourage you to, to walk through um, the entirety of today's passage um, in your own time. But uh, for now, I'd like to hone in on Jesus's encounter with the Roman official, which is um, in John chapter four, verse 46. So I'll just read through it. So he came again, that's Jesus. He came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked him the hour when he began to, to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So just listen to the way that Jesus responds to this man's request. It is absolutely not an answer that I can imagine would ever console anyone in such a situation. Um, Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So this man's son is on his deathbed and Jesus is this guy's last hope. And this is what Jesus said, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The Greek terms used in this verse are plural. So Jesus is saying, you people, it's like you people want signs and wonders. And if you don't get them, you people will not believe. Um, I imagine to the official that this response would have seemed like rejection, like, okay, 
that's it. There's, there's nothing more I can do. <laughs> um, and at first glance, it feels really cold and, and harsh. I mean, just imagine being his disciples. Like, oh, Jesus, what are you doing? This is not the time. This man's son is on his deathbed. Have a bit of compassion. But Jesus is setting up a challenge for the official. Are you willing to trust me without seeing proof? So we really have to ask the question, what is Jesus's ultimate concern here? He wants to develop and perfect a weak faith. Um, I heard a friend say just last week that God cares more about your character than your comfort. She was absolutely right. God cares more about your sanctification. That is um, the, the process of him making you more like him uh, than he does about um, your, your current situation. Um, now, the official responds by saying, sir, come down before my child dies. So it's almost like what Jesus said has gone in one ear and come out the other. Um, Jesus is trying to make a theological point. And the, the man clearly had some level of faith, like he clearly, to some degree, believes that Jesus can heal his son. Otherwise, he wouldn't have made the trip if his son is on his deathbed. Um, maybe he'd heard the story of how Jesus had turned water into wine. Um, but Jesus was saying, I can do far more than what you were asking. Do you think I need to come with you in order to heal your boy? Do you think I'm hindered by the constraints of time and space? But more importantly, Jesus was saying, you need far more than what you are asking. But the man is just in absolutely no state of mind to hear. He's like, what has this got to do with my dying son? And he just repeats the same request, almost as if he hadn't heard what Jesus had said. Um, but Jesus then says, go, your son will live. That's in verse 50. I think what's really interesting here and what is quite easy to miss is that there is a no implied in Jesus's response. He says no to part of the man's request and he says no to the part without which the man uh, thought the miracle would be, uh, wouldn't be possible. Um, Jesus says, no, I'm not coming down with you. Um, an old school theologian called Charles Spurgeon said about this, uh, about this man, here then is the weakness of your faith. Though there is much excellence in it because it makes you pray, there is some fault in it because it makes you imprudently prescribe to the Almighty how he shall bless you and makes you in effect to impugn his sovereignty and leads you ignorantly to dictate him in what form the promised boon shall come. And I think Spurgeon's absolutely right. The, the way that um, this man responds to Jesus' challenge, and I think the way that we so often do, um, puts us above God and dictates to him how it is that he should answer our prayers, um, by what deadline, uh, in, in what manner, and whether or not he, he should even <laughs> um, grant us our requests. Um, but the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So he took Jesus at his word and left him. Imagine, imagine walking away from Jesus, whom you see is your, your, your last hope, without, being, without even being given a sign as evidence of the miracle. You're just going off this story that you've heard about water being turned into wine and just taking this man at his word. And we see here that faith is, is really trust and obedience. It is not merely, it's not enough to merely uh, know something. So the man clearly knew something of Jesus. Like he's, he's maybe heard the story about the, the, the wedding in Cana, um, but it isn't enough to simply acquire knowledge and subscribe to or affirm a particular set of statements about God. That, that isn't what faith is. Faith is to depend on him and to act in accordance. Do you trust that you can lean into him with the weight of all your need, all your guilt, your shame, your hopes and your longings? Do you believe the totality of who he is and all that he says about himself? And not just the stuff that gives you a warm, fuzzy feeling during a worship song, not just when the water gets turned into wine, but when 
you have to simply take him at his word, turn around and go home. It's astonishing. Um, uh, Spurgeon then, then goes on to say, that is an heroic faith which believes Christ in the teeth of a thousand contradictions. When the Lord gives you that faith, you can say, I consult not with flesh and blood. He who said to me, believe and be saved, gave me grace to believe, and I therefore am confident that I am saved. When I once cast my soul, sink or swim, upon the love and blood and power of Christ, though conscience give no witness to my soul, though doubts distress me and fears plague me, yet it is mine to honour my master by believing his word. Though it be contradictory to sense, though reason rebel against it, and present feeling dare to give it the lie. I think for, for quite some time now, there's been um, a huge amount of emphasis placed on the goodness of God and that, the good, that God has good things in store for you. And I've no, no problem with this at all, but I do think that um, our problem is that all too often we go around um, coming up with our own definition of what good means. And, uh, and I think there is a big problem when we focus on certain aspects of God's nature at the total expense of others. Um, so in this instance, God's, God's sovereignty, God's godness, that he is not, that he is not man and we are not God. Um, and and we, we end up um, with, with a, a, a minuscule box that we're trying to cram God into to, to shape him into some form that uh, that really looks as much like uh, that looks um, as much like us as possible, um, and and a box which we could never fit um, a verse like this, for example, from Isaiah fifty-five: "For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways," declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than you. So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We are not God, and we cannot dictate to God how it is that He should, um, how it is that He should deal with us. We have to, we have to take Him at His word, and we have to come to the Scriptures and uh, see how it is that God defines good and uh, how it is that God has revealed himself. And God is concerned with your ultimate good, namely that you find deep lasting joy in him, not just temporary fleeting joy in your immediate circumstances. He's far more concerned with your eternal good than your tomorrow's good. And when we decide that God being good means that he will bring about a certain outcome in a certain way by a certain deadline, we, we actually do set ourselves above God and we, we twist his arm to try and uh, get him to do the things the way that, that, w- that we would do them. And I think this is really a form of idolatry or, uh, or self-worship when we try and fashion a God in our own image instead of allowing him to conform us to his image. Um, I've, I've thought about these things a lot since becoming a dad um, because many of the things that I do for my son's good probably do not feel all that pleasant from his perspective. Um, so like he absolutely hates it when when I wash his hair, when I brush his teeth. Uh, when he was really little, uh, he used to hate it when I had to use a nasal aspirator. It was really gross and you gotta suck the snot out of his nose. Um, but I do those, and I didn't particularly enjoy it, <laughs> but I, I do those things for his good. And I, because I have an understanding of what good is that he's completely incapable of grasping, at least for now. And we all know that if a child is never told no, they grow up to be spoiled, selfish, and uh, just not very pleasant people to be around. Um, and there've been many times in my walk with God where I've pleaded with God for a, a certain outcome that I was convinced would be good only in time to see that God had a better idea. Um, there's, um, may have heard of um, a missionary called Elizabeth Elliot. Um, her, uh, her husband was, was killed by um, 
the the Orca people of Ecuador um, I think in 1956. Um, they were trying to reach the Orca people with the gospel. Um, and incredible woman, Elizabeth Elliot said, said this, God never withholds from his child that which his love and wisdom call good. God's refusals are always merciful or severe mercies at times, but mercies all the same. God never denies us our heart's desire except to give us something better. So he never withholds from us um, those things which he, his love and his wisdom call good. And we, um, we've seen in John chapter 4 verse 52 um, that, that, that as the man, as the official is on his way home, um, he's, he's brought the news that, that his son is, um, is, is well, he's alive. And, uh, and, and they said to him that it was yesterday, the seventh hour that the fever left him. Um, and the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. So the man's son was healed at the very moment that Jesus had spoken the word, but he didn't find out until the following day. Um, I was reminded when reading this of something that, um, the preacher called John Piper said that God is always doing 10,000 things in your life and you may be aware of three of them. So God's doing 10,000 things in, in your life at all times. And, and he, that's even when he gives you a partial no, or maybe even a total no. Think of Elizabeth Elliot, her, her husband killed by the very people that they had gone to reach with the gospel. Um, but but we see it in this passage when we take a step back we see the progression of this man's faith um, at the beginning Jesus says um, unless you see signs and wonders you will not believe and then later we we see that the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken and went on his way and then at the end this man believed along with his whole house so um, in, in, in the middle there, it was like he, this, this man believed that, that, that Jesus was going to heal his son. But then at the end of the story, we see that faith perfected and this man believing on Jesus, not just for him to do this one thing for him, but trusting him. Um, and we see that this is actually the, the purpose. Uh, John, John tells us towards the end of John's gospel that this is the purpose of the entire book. It says in John 20 verse 31, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Um, Jesus himself said in John 5 verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And so, I go back to um, to those those words of um, Charles Spurgeon, and um, and we must um, we must cast everything that we have upon the love, the blood, and the power of Christ. And for those who for those who do so, um, we are we are transformed, and we are um, we are we pass from death to life, and we have life in Jesus. So. Thank you, and I'll see you next time. How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond all measure That He should give His only Son
There you go. That was Mr. Pete Farrington, followed along by actually his brother, John Farrington, doing the worship. So Farrington duo right. right there. <laughs> Absolutely. So how did you find that talk, Miss uh, Mrs. Kettle? I thought it was good. It's very challenging, wasn't it? I mean... Yeah, Pete was straight yeah, to it, wasn't he? Like, ouch moments, I think. <laughs> people said that in the comments too. So. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely no. Uh, there's definitely no um, punches spared. I think uh, to follow our, our early analogies of getting slapped. Um, yeah. But yeah, I thought. I thought what a phenomenal talk and really interesting that he drew out um, the story that he did out of that whole passage. That was the thing that he sort of focused in on. Um, what do you think? What was the thing that stood out? What was your ouch moment? I mean, there was a couple for me. One of them was, um, I'm just getting back to it now, where he said, oh, just looking for it. Um, one of them was where he said, like, God is always doing, like, a, you know, maybe a thousand or ten thousand things in your life, but you may only be aware of three of them. Yeah. And I think it, like, links, for me, it links to that thing of, like, his ways are higher than ours. Mm. And that whole idea that, like, we sometimes say, God, why didn't you do that? Or why didn't you answer this prayer? And we look at things in such a human way, like we what we want to mm -hmm. happen. And kind of, I, I know I so often approach God like that in my prayers and in my conversation with him. I'm like, God, I want this. I want this outcome. Please do it for me. And then I get a bit annoyed if he doesn't. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and I think that's probably quite normal. That's probably how a lot of people relate to God too much, if we're honest. Mm -hmm. And, um, but, but like, what if like he's doing all these other things for me behind the scenes that I'm totally oblivious to, like protecting me and working other things for my good that maybe like, you know, there's blessings in all of our lives, aren't there? There's countless blessings, but like maybe God is working all these things for good in our lives, but we just don't know, notice them or see them mm. because we don't see it behind the scenes or like all that he's doing all the time. And often we take it for granted and we only notice stuff when it goes wrong. But actually, when things are going right in our lives, it's like, who knows what God's doing, like, to bless us in that moment. Mm. And, yeah, it just really stuck with me. I just thought, oh, gosh, yeah, I tend to focus on these negative things 
um, when it doesn't work out the way I think it should. But what mm. about all those times it does? Like, mm. it's good in those moments too. Mm. Of course he is. But, like, I think it's human nature. Sometimes we say we go to the, you know, negative more than the positives. And, yeah, I just think there's so much of what God's doing that we obviously we're not God. We don't see what mm. he's doing at all. Um, but, yeah, I just I think I have a tendency to hone in on when it doesn't seem to work out rather than all the times that it does. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I do think... Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I think it's a common human trait, isn't it? That mm. actually, um, when you have a, a source of pain, that's all you can really focus on. You don't focus yeah. on everything else. And um, I think it's easy. I, You know, I find it easy in some respects when you're with other people to judge uh, them mm. in terms of when they're going through something that is painful, that's all they can focus on. That's their whole mm. world. Um, and so in their mind, everything is going wrong. But of course, you can point out 10,000 things that are going right because you're not you're not limited by that pain, are you? You're not you're not drawn in by that. And so I. I find it very easy to, to help other people uh, see the other 10,000 things, but not so easy to make myself uh sit back and see the other 10,000 things. And I think you're right. How often do yeah. we talk ourselves out of the fact that God's doing something remarkable in our lives because of one thing going over here, which is not quite going how we think it should go. And I think that was a bit that um, when Pete started off with that, it was like the response that Jesus gave was probably not the one that you'd want to give in the modern world, is it? And and, and he just yeah. goes, no, I'm, I'm not going there. But of course, if he doesn't go... Then in then in the centurion's mind, the the servant doesn't get healed, right? It doesn't get better. So by yeah. saying no here, it stops the you know. It's like, well, hang on, no, this is the first gate we've got to get through, and we mm-hmm. I, and that limiting God to going through just the gates that we give Him, mm-hmm. uh, I think is is quite fascinating, uh, and, yeah. and we do it so often. And and that, and yeah. that prescription, God, you've got to answer this prayer. And this is the exact roadmap I think you should do that. Yeah, yeah. This is the way you should answer it. This is my time scale. And, you know, I know you're God and you might have some other ideas, but I think my idea is best. Yeah, we, we're all guilty of that, aren't we? Like, it's that's <laughs> thoroughly human. And anyone who says they don't do that is lying, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Me and Matt definitely do. All the time. I remember years ago, um, I worked for... Uh, a guy called Simon O'Shaughnessy and Simon, mm-hmm. lovely fella and I'm still really good friends with Simon and Simon uh, I was working for him he decided that he was going to sell his company that I was working for and he was going to move to New Zealand that's what he felt God was saying to him mm-hmm. well Sharon and I uh, praying about this when we found out the news we're kind of thinking what does that mean I'm going to be out of a job what's going to happen with the people by the company? do you know what I mean all those things that go through yeah. your head we both felt God say to us separately, you know what, Matt, um, I'm going to give you that company. And we were like, OK, Sharon felt that and I felt that. And I just thought, OK, so we talked to each other about it, but didn't talk to anybody else about it. And I definitely didn't mention it to Simon because I didn't want to be seen to be manipulating anything in any yeah. way. I mean, it's like, God, if you're going to do this, then fair play. Mm-hmm. Um, but not only did Simon not give me the company he sold it to somebody else and not only did the person that he sold it to not give me the company I ended up leaving because myself and the person that bought it for whatever reason we had to part ways let's just put it that way we didn't really get on that well and so here I am um Josh was practically a newborn I am without a job I'm without an income. I have a newborn baby. My wife has given up work because we have a newborn baby. And mm. I'm stood there going, God, hang on a minute. You you said, do you know what I mean? And it wasn't mm. until five years later, it was almost five years to the day, I that company was in effect given to me. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. I, I didn't see when I heard what I heard, God is, God is good, God's going to give me this business. Yeah. I didn't see that meaning five years of a really fascinating journey to get there. Do you, yeah. d- does that make sense? God neglected to tell me that bit. Um, but what was yeah. fascinating was 
I 10,000 things, right? All I saw was actually, no, this, this business I thought God was going to give me is in the hands of somebody yeah. else. Do, do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I always think of the, um, when I think of stories like that, and you hear them a lot, don't you? Like God takes the less direct route than we might have chosen to get mm. us somewhere. And you feel like God's more about teaching us through the journey than getting us to the destination quickly. Like mm-hmm. to the end point, the end point isn't necessarily the only goal, um, which I think he picked up on, didn't he? God's more interested in our character than our comfort sometimes. Mm-hmm. Which I, I don't think it's that God doesn't care about our comfort. I don't think he is it, meant in that way that like God wants to give us discomfort. But I think God certainly is interested in the sort of journey to get there. He's not interested in getting us to destination quick. Mm-hmm. Like, I often feel like, the destination isn't the only point in life, you know, like God's actually interested in a journey. And it makes me think of like the Israelites in, in the book of Exodus and the Bible, because, you know, they did a journey that was should have just been days. And it took them like years and years in the desert to get somewhere that you could have actually got to in days if you just mm. done the journey directly. But getting there fast wasn't necessarily God's point. It was like, working with them, working through their disobedience, mm. dealing with their hearts and their trust in him and all of this other stuff. Yeah. And, you know, living in a wilderness for years and years isn't comfortable, is it? It's like all through the yeah. Bible, I think. Yeah. No, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? And when they lived in the wilderness, were they living there because God wanted them there because they were so pig-headed? That's where they needed to be just to learn a few. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? There's so yeah. many things you can sort of sit and think about. But you're right, that whole God's... God is interested in our comfort because he comforts us. He comforts us when we mourn. He, you know, we know yeah. that from the Bible. But God is very much interested in our character. And mm. I love I loved Pete's analogy, actually, where he said, you know what? There are many things that I do for my young son, which I consider mm. to be good, that he does not consider to be good. But my understanding of what is good and his are very different. And, and Pete's quite right in the sense of actually this is his role as a father. No, no, you clean your teeth, kids. Not because I'm trying to win any, you know, any contest for popularity with you, mm. but because I, I, I understand why you need to clean your teeth. Do you see what I mean? And yeah. there's that, I thought it was a very simple analogy, which kind of goes, yeah, I'm not God. God's God. He sees the end from the beginning. And so I have to trust that actually, whilst I don't understand what's going on at the moment, mm. that ultimately God God's plan is is one that is good. Do you, do you see what I mean? Yeah, and it's a lovely analogy, really, because it's not perfect, but it's like the closest like we've got, really, isn't there, to understanding mm. that God's perspective is much greater than our perspective. Obviously, he's God. And it's like we do have, as parents, we have a much greater perspective on life than our two-year-olds who are just purely interested in their instant mm. comfort and entertainment, and that's pretty much all they think about. Um, at that stage of life and yeah it is quite a good analogy for thinking God's view and perspective of the world and of our lives is so much bigger than we understand or can comprehend yeah, yeah. it's a really interesting one isn't it let me see if I can get this to work I'm going to try and put the Spurgeon quote on the screen don't know okay. if it's going to work or not so let's click the button and see what happens shall we oh yes there oh, it goes it's got my photo just because I put the quote on Facebook, but I'm not Spurgeon. Just want to point that out. Um, so here then is the weakness of your faith, though there is much excellent in it because it makes you pray. There is some fault in it because it makes you imprudently prescribe to the Almighty how he shall bless you. Uh, mm-hmm. It makes you, in effect, uh, impugn his sovereignty and lead you ignorantly to dictate to him in what form the promised uh boon shall come and you're just kind of like mm. i mean i i wouldn't have used that language because obviously i live in a different era to spurgeon but i thought yeah. what an interesting insight that actually um here is the weakness of your faith though it is excellent because you pray it is weak because you are dictating in effect to the almighty what has to happen mm. um and and I, I, I love that. I, 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 it's, it's a, I'm guilty of it. That's my problem. Yeah, I think we all are. And this is something I feel really challenged about, like 
prayer. It's so easy to just come to God with a shopping list of stuff you want them to do. Mm. You know, almost like your relationship with God feels like a self-improvement plan. Like, God, help this meeting that I'm doing later today go well and help me get success here and help my child do better there and, you know, and so on and so on. And actually prayer is about a two-way conversation with God and that is something I'm really challenged about at the moment. Mm. And actually I need to do a whole lot less talking in my relationship with God and a whole lot more listening. And if you're like, you know, like I think probably both you and I are fairly extroverted personality types, Matt. But if you're if you're like someone who likes to talk and thinks you know what's right already, it's, that's really hard to do. But I'm like really learning to, and it doesn't come naturally to me. But I'm learning to choose to sometimes just come to God with no agenda and to just mm. sit and be in His presence and to maybe see if He's got anything to say to me or to just drop into my mind rather than just always come with my agenda and talk yeah. at him and him what I want. Because, yeah, I don't know, it it just feels like that's not a two-way relationship. Mm. Um, but that's that's very hard to do, especially for people that don't easily sit in silence for long periods or even short periods of time. Um, yeah, it's yeah. challenging, isn't it? Oh, massively, but it is so life-giving all at the same time, and I, I, I totally see that. I think for me, it's it's one of those things where I'm finding, as I Matt Crude said in the comments, um, he likes to remind me of my age. My age, he said, uh, "You're more ancient than Spurgeon, Matt Edmondson." Uh, thanks, Matt. Um, but as I, as me and Charles walk the earth, and I'm still walking, uh, I kind of think. Faith becomes about believing the promises of God, right? And we know that faith is about believing the promises of God. But like you say, for so many years, that meant actually the promise or the, the faith target, for want of a better expression, often would come from me. You know, God, mm -hmm. this is what I want. This is what I'm in faith for. This is what I'm believing for. But the older that I get, the more I realize those faith targets whatever they are should come from god and it should be god whispering those and saying right this is this is what's gonna you know this is what we're planning matt mm. and i th i think so often god gives us a sort of an a destination or a direction but he doesn't give us th those instant steps every day that we need to take and that's the walk of faith isn't it it's like right he didn't say to me, Matt, I'm going to give you the business, but it's going to be in five years. And to get there, you're going to have to go through X, Y, and Z. Now, maybe you would have done had I have listened. Uh, that, you maybe. Know, then, maybe. Or maybe it was just a case of actually, Matt, this is what I said. Dude, it's what I said. What's wrong with you? This is what I've said. Do you know what I mean? The, and that constant reaffirmation. And actually, now this is what God said, regardless of what's going on around me. Mm -hmm. uh, Anya put here in the comments, see if I can add this. I'm loving this add to broadcasting. The only thing that I'm certain is that God has a plan for me. So, uh, go, you can comment on this one, Anya. Yeah, I think that's really good. Um, yeah, I think that I, I agree. And the more I go on in life, it's like I'm not actually so sure that like my way is the right way. And I think... As you get older, you just realise you're not always right and you're not always, you know, what you want isn't necessarily what's right for mm. you. Um, and, yeah, I think it's, you know, that I love what she says because it's like holding your plans slightly. Like, I think I said this on my podcast, actually, going back to that. I said, I've learned, if there's one thing I've learned in life, it's to, like, it's okay to plan, but mm. write those plans in pencil. And yeah, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. And it's like that it's okay to have, ideas and plans especially if you're strategic type like we both work in marketing right so mm -hmm. we're used to planning but i think it's okay to have plans but to hold them lightly before god and to be mm -hmm. open to those like edits and changes and redirect you know detours and redirecting you and um and ultimately god is the master planner isn't he like we're not in charge of this this world of our own lives even fully um he gives us some autonomy but you know, ultimately, yeah, he, you know, it is his plan. And, and so I think the best posture is, God, these are my ideas, but, you know, over to you, like I surrender them and 
hold them lightly before you. Yeah. And actually, I feel like when I hold them too tightly and I'm clinging tight to them, that's when life feels a lot harder um, quite often. Um, it's a lot easier to walk through life a bit more open-handed, I think. Yeah. That's a really interesting, that's really powerful. Uh, it's a lot easier to walk through hands. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot easier to walk through life a little bit more open-handed. Yeah. Um, than trying to hold on to everything so tight. Uh, I think it's there's such a true and powerful statement, isn't it? I love what uh, Miriam put here in the comments. Let me see if I can find it. God's plan for us is awesome. What do you think to that? Yeah, I think she's right. Like God is good, isn't he? He's an awesome God. So I'm sure that's true. But I think it's still an act of faith to believe that, isn't it? Especially mm. when life's throwing you a hard deal. Like that's easy to believe when life's going well. But it is that thing of like you begin to question or doubt if something really difficult comes your way, if you go through a season of pain or loss mm. or all kinds of difficult stuff that we talk about here at Crowd. And yeah, it doesn't make it less true, but I think it's harder to believe that when you're going through those seasons, as mm. we said. Um, but absolutely, you know, that it's, you know, it's keeping in those times, it's, as we said before, it's keeping, trying to keep sight of the big picture, isn't it? Not just your immediate pain. It's like God's in that and he mm. cares about that. But also there is still a bigger picture. Yeah, there is a bigger picture. And it's it's interesting, actually, because, again, going back to something that Pete said um, and just touching on what uh, Miriam said about God's plan being awesome, you first have to define what you mean by awesome. Mm. Uh, just like we have to define what we mean by good because we have definitions of what that means and usually it means something good for me mm. uh, or if God's plan is awesome that means I've got an awesome life in front of me yeah, and you, your interpretation and twisting of that is quite fascinating I've got a, a, a lovely friend called Felicity and Felicity is just one of my favourite people on the planet. I get to, she, they they live in a different country, but one day of the year we get to hang out with them, and um, mm -hmm. she's she's just lovely. And I always remember a conversation I had with Felicity about this word "awesome" and and her belief that actually we overuse it in the English language. Mm. Um, you know, she said she heard somebody in a coffee shop say, "Oh, that that panini looks awesome," and she's <laughs> like, "No, how can a panini?" be awesome god is awesome a panini yeah. is a panini do you know what i mean and that that sort of trivial use of language and you're mm -hmm. kind of like no god you are full of awe you are full of wonder you are god you are lord you are the supreme you know yeah. dude and actually knowing that holding as you say plans lightly in my hand well that that's that's what we call submission to the Lordship of Christ, right? That's recognizing that God truly is awesome, that his plan, his ways are awesome. But that also means they are, as Pete read out, they are way beyond our thinking. Right? Mm -hmm. I'm like I'm like Pete's two-year-old son, not understanding why I've got to clean my teeth, not understanding why I've got to brush my hair and wash my face. I don't want to. I don't want to, and I throw my yeah. tantrums. Uh, but actually, when we stand back and see that actually God is awesome regardless. Hard, like you say, hard to do, but super powerful, right? Yeah. Super, super powerful. Yeah, for sure. Really good stuff. Really good stuff, Mr. Farrington. I've enjoyed this particular conversation uh, and this particular talk. I thought that was a really good topic. Um, yeah. And deep diving onto... Because you said it as well, isn't it? That actually... Um, This is true, right, regardless of, of what we think. This is not, it's not always the popular opinion. It's not always easy street. Mm -hmm. But returning back to this fundamental truth that Jesus is Lord is kind of at the heart of the gospel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. It's, you know, it's, yeah, as you say, it's not popular and it's not even something we always enjoy like it's painful isn't it sometimes mm. we'd rather be in control of our own lives and I, and I think so much of it is about control it's like I want to control the outcomes I want to control my own life I want to be my own mini lord of my own life really if we're honest mm. um, and yeah you're right it's coming back to the lordship of Christ isn't it that actually 
yeah, submitting to that rather than kind of what, yeah, our own lordship. And I think, you know, we live in a world which is so, um, well, it's so kind of individualistic now. It's all about your own needs and your own mm, mm. design, you know, and, and consumer culture and the whole world we live in now, I think probably even more than, you know, the time when this story was told in Jesus's time, it's much more, we think about, you know, our individualistic needs a lot more. We think about, you know, everything's very media, very consumer-led. Um, we choose what we want and we buy instantly online, don't we? And so I think this is really hard for us to get our heads around. Like, we don't have control over everything. And, you know, like, that's okay if we, mm. you know, and I think I used to really struggle with this. I am a bit of a control freak by nature, but I think the thing that squares it for me is learning or realizing that the one that you're putting faith in though is mm. worthy of trusting. And I think that's the thing that squares it for me. It's like, I will trust God because I believe he's good and he's awesome and he's for me and all of those things that we've said. I think if you don't truly believe but that is what God is like. It's very hard to fully trust him mm -hmm. um, and surrender to him, really. So, yeah, yeah, a lot of it's about trusting trusting God as who he says he is. That's such a powerful point, isn't it? That actually when you mm -hmm. understand that truth about God, I think faith becomes easier. But if, if in your head God is not like that, it becomes much, much harder. Mm -hmm. I remember the conversation with Jen. You know, we were talking about Jen's story on What's the Story podcast. Yeah. And for me... Um, the the thing about doing that podcast and interviewing people like yourself, like Jen and various yeah. others, is actually everybody has these challenges. Everybody right. face really complex situations in life. And for me, the inspiring ones are the ones that go, I don't know. I don't know the answers. I don't know why. I can't tell you why I'm in pain. I want it to stop. But in the midst of that... I am going to rise and rise doesn't mean, you know, like the self-improvement rise, like I'm going to rise up and conquer, do you know what I mean? And take the land. Yeah. It's rising. For me, rising up is a case of, of holding out your hands and going, God, I don't know, but I do know enough to trust you because you are good. Yeah. And if, and that's as far as they can, so many of the stories, that's as far as they could get was just in tears, yeah. just saying that over and over again. And ultimately, I think it's incredible and I think it's inspiring when you have that unshakable faith like that. Um, it doesn't change situations and circumstances overnight. But man, mm. it's from, from me listening to all the stories, it's inspiring. Super mm. inspiring. Yeah, that's good. So... I think we shall end. I'm just going down the comments here. God's plan for Stephen was awesome, says, let me add this to podcast. God's plan for Stephen was awesome. Paul's life for God was awesome. We don't understand it, but God does. So uh, for those of you who may not understand, Stephen was the first martyr in the Bible. Uh, he was stoned to death for his faith in the book of Acts. We will get on to Stephen's story as we go through the book of Acts in the new year. Uh, Paul was the apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament what a colourful life he had, uh, <laughs> to say the least. Um, and so, yeah, we don't understand it. And there's a lot of stuff going on. You kind of go, why? But again, in the midst of that going, God, we trust you, uh, mm. is, is just extraordinary thing to be able to, to, to be able to do. So uh, Matt says here, as we approach the end of our live stream, uh, if you are watching or listening along and need prayer, uh, get in touch uh, with us via DM at Crowd Church on Instagram or Facebook. Love it, Matt. Matt, you're right. Totally right. It's been a job for you tonight, Matt. It's awesome. <laughs> Thanks for saying it. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, yeah. I say I couldn't, couldn't have put it better myself. Exactly. Uh, it does go without saying, of course, if you would like, we are a church. We do believe in prayer. We do believe God answers prayer. Mm -hmm. Not always in the way that we want him to, as the Centurion found out earlier, and as we've been talking about but we still pray, we still believe God is good and we still believe God can intervene. So if there's anything you would like prayer for, do get in touch with us and let us know. Uh, Sheila got in touch with us earlier on Instagram. Uh, we sent a message back saying, listen, praying, praying for your mom, uh, which is you know what she asked us for. So yeah, absolutely. Just get in there, uh, send your prayer request. We would love to hear from you. Uh, Matt has also put here in the comments, 
where did it go? I've seen it. Oh, here we go. Uh, join us on Wednesday for our midweek prayer groups. Uh, check out website CrowdChurch for more information. So yes, we do gather during the week for a prayer group. Um, if you'd like to come along uh, and connect with people, get to know people, we'd love to see you there. Uh, George has put in the comments here. Join us next week where Jack Mariner talks through the next passage in John's Gospel all about the bread of life. I was having a phenomenal chat with John Harding about the next passage. Uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't realize this, but did you know that Bethlehem means house of bread? I did not know that. Ah uh, yes, so that's a little tidbit for you for next week ahead of. Uh, ahead Tune in, of people. It sounds like it's going to be a, yeah, exciting. It's going to be a doozy. Oh yes, uh, and as you would expect, conversations with John Harding, we get deep into biblical uh, <laughs> Greek and Hebrew because he's on one now, isn't he? Doing his um, Hebrew yeah. uh, stuff. Um, so yeah, it's been great to be with you this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for being in the comments. Uh, mm -hmm. do come back and join us next week Anna anything else from you just to say have a great week everyone be blessed and yeah uh, stay in touch if you need anything like prayer or anything else like we've said absolutely yeah do come join us next week so that's it from myself from Anna thank you so much for joining us thank you for joining us in the comments and for all your kind and wonderful comments. It's been so good to hear from uh, from you guys today. Uh, we will see you next week. The live stream is going to end now. So uh, that's it from myself. That's it from Anna. Bye for now. See ya.